Hey everybody and welcome to Between the Pints, your source for the business side of craft beer. I'm your host Aaron Gore, aka The Human Pilser, and I'm here with my co-host... Uh, Ryan Moses, the beer counselor. We're also here with Barry Bars, founder of Black and Crafty. Barry, how you doing today? I'm doing good. About yourself, man. Oh, doing fantastic, man. You know, no one ever asked me that when we get on here. <laughs> yeah, I'm all. I ask everybody, you know, how you doing today? They're always like, I'm good. And they just leave it at that. <laughs> Thank you. I feel wonderful today, hey, Barry. Man, it's Monday. It's, it's beautiful. Probably should have led in with saying that this is going to be uh, between the pints, your source for the Black Panther side of craft beer, because <laughs> that's what we're covering today. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if uh, you've been living under a rock. Uh, probably what's going to be the biggest movie of the year, one of the biggest movies of all time, Black Panther, uh, released over the last weekend. We all saw it. Barry, I'm presuming you saw it as yes, well. I know yes, Ryan yeah. and me both saw it. That was kind of required watching. <laughs> Otherwise, this would have been a real weird episode to record. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we're basically going to be reviewing the movie, talking about that at length. I just want to give you guys a nice spoiler alert. Heads spoiler up. alert. We're not going to be covering up anything. We're going to be talking about this in some detail. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, pause this, go out, watch it immediately, pay matinee prices. It's probably middle of the day. There's not a problem with that. Skip out on work. You have my permission. I asked your boss. He said hey, it was good. Yeah, so yeah. definitely go out and watch it. Uh, tune back in. Uh, I know we're going to have a great time. We're going to be pairing some beers with it because bo- uh, movie and beer pairings, that's now a thing. Uh, yeah, We're making it a thing. Yeah, it's going to be a thing whether you like it or not. Um, that's really kind of our way of tying this into the craft beer industry so we had an excuse to talk about a fantastic comic book movie for an, an hour. Until uh, we get into that, though, how about some brew news? Ryan, what do you got for us today? Oh Well, my first article is, let me give you an explicit warning. Talking shitty labels and bad branding with Carla Jean Lauder from the DCBeer.com blog. The article is about Michael Stein at the DC Beer. And Carla Jean Lauder, if you've never heard of her, she is a blogger. And she's probably one of the most prominent voices when it comes to calling for inclusion in the craft beer arena. And she, one of the things she really does is she calls out a lot of breweries when they do stu- <laughs> stupid, insensitive, and offensive labels and beer names. What could possibly be wrong with Pearl Necklace, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's one of the ones that she's um, talked about, and her blog is called The Beer Babe, and she's out of Maine. In this interview, one of the first things she says is, if a brewery wants to avoid having an issue with their beer names and labels, they should make sure when they're coming up with the name and they're coming up with the branding, the people in the room is as large and as inclusive as possible. Because, you know, it's one of the things we keep coming back to is, to keep craft beer growing, at some point you have to realize that the 25 or 35 year old white guy, you've pretty much gotten. AKA me. <laughs> you've pretty much gotten as many of those as you can. So to keep the craft beer growing at even closer to the level that it's been growing, you need to make sure you're appealing to people who aren't 35, 35 year old white guys, basically. Yeah, if you're going to be calling saturation in the industry and you have 65% of you know, the potential customers out there who are almost absolutely untouched, man, that starts sounding, that sounds like a real hollow claim real quick. So I've encouraged, I know you've encouraged as well, Ryan, that breweries really do need to hire outside that demographic or at least put the feelers out there and see who wants to get into the industry outside of that demographic. Uh, and I always recommend to breweries when I'm doing consultations that they do involve the entire staff in naming and labeling decisions. For one, anything like that, it never hurts to get more eyes on because yeah. you can get a real artistic myopia. If you have an idea, you think it's great, and you just need somebody looking over your shoulder to say, well, that looks goddamn terrible. <laughs> so the wider the net is cast, the better the haul. 
So it's always good to consult the people in your brewery, and it's always good to hire uh, diverse opinions and diverse ideas because then you get diverse and innovative products. That's how the industry grows. Yeah. That's how your brewery grows. That's how you stay relevant. Yeah. Oh, and one of the other things she talks about in this um, interview is she gives she tries to give breweries advice on what to do. In, yeah, like I said, you make the branding and the labeling and the naming group as big and as inclusive as possible. She, one of her so obviously we're naming everything just beer in big, well, like, bold letters and just leaving it at that. <laughs> if you have more people, you have more ideas, and you can come up with something funny and cool that's not a character or offensive to someone. And that's the whole point of you know, you're trying to make sure that the business does reflect the values of the people in the room because – one of her quotes is, whether we want to believe it or not, the businesses that we run reflects our values. The problem is that a craft beer curious co consumer doesn't get any insight into your brewery's culture, so your intent beyond what's on the label itself, or your intent beyond what's on the label itself in a beer store. So you need to make sure that... It's your first impression. Yeah, your first impression is going to be this label, this name, and if it is offensive to someone, there might, they might not say anything, but they're not going to buy your beer. And that's kind of the important thing. It goes back to that, you know, that concept of the long tail I talked about, like in the first episode, you're trying to get people to become regular consumers of your product and not just occasional consumers of your product. And offending them is a really good way to make them a, not only an occasional consumer, but a not again a consumer of your product. Turn them off completely. And, and you have a lot of people, you know, brewers and brewery owners who would say, well, you know, it didn't offend me. And maybe they didn't even realize it was something that could offend somebody, which only goes back to the fact you need diverse opinions before you release anything publicly. Yeah. Uh, but more importantly than that, even if it doesn't offend you and you're aware that it does offend other people, this is a customer-facing business, man. Like, like if, other than just like the rule we talked about, don't be a dick. Uh, it's an important rule to make sure that you're not offending people out in the market because if you are, like that PR hit's never going to go away. It's going to affect your business. You're going to be, like you said, taking customers who otherwise might have been converted into full-time customers, turning them into never customers, and, and that doesn't serve any purpose. That's right. only going to hurt your business. It's going to hurt the industry. It's going to make us all look bad. And Again, you're being a dick. The one thing that she does, and she's actually, I've read this before when she talks about finding offensive labels is, the first thing she will do, she will actually go to the brewery and try to talk to them personally on a one-on-one -on -one level and go, you know, this is kind of a problem. And But part of the problem she's been having is the breweries and the people who've made that decision take offense. Like she's attacking them and they are kind of dismissive to her query. So then that's when it she kind of that's when she's almost forced to escalate it into all right i have a blog i have a pretty good following i gotta call you out yeah right, right. yeah i have to go public with this now and, and a lot of these yeah. guys aren't necessarily you know sexist or racist or especially not overtly but a lot of them they they mean well even but yeah they don't realize there's a problem because they surround themselves with an echo chamber and they don't yeah. hear that there's a problem. So when someone brings it up, they feel personally attacked. And it's not about that yeah. at all. It's like we're trying to tell you the problem already exists. We're just yeah. trying to bring it to your attention so you can do something about it. That's yeah. not a bad thing. That's a good thing. You know, and like I said, that she's one, she's one of my favorite writers. And, and yeah, and it's just really good to finally hear, get an interview with her where she's not just writing and she's talking about everything that she kind of does. That's a good article. Yeah, um, dcbeer.com. Beautiful. What else you got for us today? Uh, I also have a, an 
article from the Craft Brewing Business um, website on the Independent Brewers Alliance by Chris Crowell. The Independent, uh, the Independent Brewers Alliance is a co-op that was started about a year ago, and it's currently accepting applications for new uh, members. And it's a co-op of small brewers. And what they've done, if you know anything about what a co-op is, it's a cooperative membership organization where each member is an independent contractor or an independent business. But what they do is they like combine their buying power so that they can buy mostly for especially for this is so they can buy ingredients at a cheaper rate because of the economies of scale. If they buy barley and hops at a bulk pricing, bulk pricing yeah. it's cheaper for them and it helps them in their bottom helps each of the individual members in their bottom line. Collective negotiation. Yeah. And it's a little bit over a year old and this actually the idea started at the Craft Brewers Conference in I think twenty sixteen. And it was just a group of people sitting in a conference room, and they were brainstorming, and they came up with it. And so far, they are up to enough members where they brew around 600 barrels, and their goal is to brew up to a million barrels, have members that grew up to a million. Oh, that's a, a small barrels. small yeah. level of growth. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, it's – and I think this is something that's really cool, and I believe it's something that will probably, I hope, takes off for smaller brewers because I think it's a good idea is that, you know, as a small – independent brewer you can't you know we were talking about the fact that there's the hops are we have too many hops and the pricing is luckily the price is going down because we have too many hops but the other the other ingredients in beer they're still really expensive and if a small brewer can't afford to buy specialty grain if they want to do a special one-off beer if they're spending so much money on their just regular Pilsner grain that's the base of all their beers. And this is such a fad-based industry anyways. Like yeah. You really do kind of got to keep up with the Joneses just to stay relevant. And a lot yeah. of those fad beers are expensive as hell to make. Yeah. yeah. I mean, New England IPAs are wonderful. Everybody's making them now. And aside from, you Nobody's know, that white flour. You, them, well, yeah. that's true. <laughs> uh, aside from that white flour, you got to buy tons of. Uh, no, the, I mean, hops are expensive as hell. And even if they're dropping in price, they're still the biggest single ingredient yeah. expense a lot of breweries have. Malt, man, grain bills never stop. You are constantly getting... And super stag after super stag, and then you're getting specially malt that you have to buy in bulk to get a good price at. And now you got to sit in because you only have that one beer that makes it. And now it's just going to waste and the, taking up space in the brew house, which you may not have, holding up money, keeping it non liquid, which you may not have. Your return on investment is longer than your payment terms on most of those contracts for your malt and bill. So now you're all of a sudden completely upside down on your liquidity. For a lot of breweries, this is a huge, huge problem. Yeah. So being able to negotiate those prices down collectively, by uh, it would help prevent things like this uh, mass contract flippage we're seeing out in Yakima where all those hop companies are now looking at contracts that those breweries can't pay. If yeah. they negotiated collectively, they could have worked out collective payment schemes, and they could have been assured that at least the bulk of that product would be getting paid for eventually at a price that would still earn them a hefty profit while also going for a fair market rate for those breweries. Yeah, and like I said, this is something that I hope smaller breweries take note of and maybe not join the Independent Brewers Alliance, but maybe create your own local, like let's say the Charlotte Independent Brewers Alliance just started. Maybe that was something something they could look into is to figuring out a way to create a co-op and pool your resources so that you know so that three spirits can afford to buy all the grain and the hops they need. Noda and Old Met can, but three spirits, uh, thirsty nomad, 
the smaller ones, they need they need that extra yeah, level of support. Yeah. And if that organization is really set about uh, preserving the Charlotte beer scene and advancing its interests as a collective, like they say they are, that really should be kind of the next step that yeah. they're looking at. I know yeah. there's definitely been some concern, and, and this is not the opinion of Between the Pints, but it is something that has been raised that there's some concern that that organization is mostly there just to help reinforce the interests of those top two or yeah. three breweries yeah. and kind of leave the smaller ones behind this would be a huge step towards showing everybody that no, they really are committed to the Charlotte beer scene and making sure that this is a thriving, healthy, locally contributing thing. Great article. And my last article is from USA Today. So it was very short and very, May have heard about it. <laughs> very short and very low on like lots of facts. But it's called Craft Brewers Seek to Involve More African Americans by Mike Snyder. And you get some one of the best things you get a couple of snippets and quotes from Garrett Oliver. And who, who, by the way, I've decided. I think I've decided that he and Randy Mosher are the patron saints of this podcast because we've. Oh spoken, yeah, no, we've we quote about them we quote those two guys so every episode, and and I'm not I'm not upset about that. I'm very comfortable with that. Yeah, but the main thrust of the article is it's trying to talk about the necessity the the, necessi- the necessity of increasing the pool of potential craft beer drinkers, which is the thing we keep talking about, and it, it was it did mention something that I had forgotten that has happened, but. The Brewers Association has a diversity committee. I mean, that's that's a good first step. And literally, that's all I was able to find on the Brewers Association Association diversity committee. I it's, can see that they've done a lot of important <laughs> things for the industry. Yeah, Excellent. They, yeah, they met. <laughs> they met last year at the CBC, the Craft Brewers Conference. And that's about the that's extent. That's all I can find so far. <laughs> and that's kind of when way I, to go, BA. Way to go. And not to. I don't want to say that they're not doing anything, but that's kind of what, as someone who worked in nonprofit and worked in like quasi-governmental organizations, I understand what happens like when quasi-governmental, like black ops kind of <laughs> kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. like, like, what are you talking, yeah, Ryan? Yeah, yeah. What are you yeah. revealing on here? <laughs> no, something like a housing authority, which is kind of a nonprofit, but kind of part of the city government. But yeah, I digress. Quasi-governmental organizations where you create a committee, you find there's a problem, so you create a committee. That's what's going to interest me if this committee is meeting and it comes back with recommendations at this year's CVC in a couple of months. What will the membership of the Brewers Association do with those recommendations? Because it's, the Brewers Association is a membership organization and it has to, it can only enact things if dues paying members, dues paying buy, members into buy into it. it. I mean, we saw what happened with Flying Dog when they tried to step in about labeling last year. They yeah. just stepped out of the BA completely. Now that yeah. was I'm I'm just gonna say that was petty and ridiculous of Flying Dog <laughs> and made them look I mean they showed their whole ass on that one. But yeah. by the same token, that's an option that's open to any yeah. dues paying member of the BA. And yep. this is a I mean it, it's an important issue and it's one that has a simple end goal in mind, but it is an incredibly complex yes. and multi layered issue and one that's very, very difficult to approach, even more so when you're essentially hurting cats and a <laughs> membership based organization like the BA. Yeah. And yeah, if there's a membership organization and there I think one of the things we've also talked about is we've met brewery owners and head brewers and they are some they are almost all because they've built their companies from the ground up, they're almost all highly opinionated and probably and very difficult to move off of their ideas. They're stubborn. <laughs> yes, basically. They're just, really just, stubborn. Just we, guys, we love all of you. We're probably even going to have a few of you on this show, but y'all stubborn, man. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so when the 
committee comes back with a recommendation at the CVC or the GAVF, which whenever they do it, it'll be interesting to see what they do with it. And I think that's part of why it's so important to, you know, you people listening at home as, as well as ourselves demand better, demand this stuff. I mean, if the, if the PR impact is there, uh, these businesses will do it one way or the other. Like they'll follow those recommendations, but if they don't feel really in any real impetus to do so and any real pressure to do so, it'll be a lot easier for them to just kind of ignore it and go about their day. So yeah, d- demand better and you know be be focused and and keep up on this stuff. And I think that goes back to the thing that Carla Jean Lauder talks about is like you need more people in your room when you're th- thinking about these things because when that happens, as I think. A lot of brewers will say, well, you know, our customers are, it didn't offend our customers because they keep seeing the same customers, <laughs> basically. Yeah, we talked about that with the craft breweries in the Midlands of England. It, yeah. It's, they're seeing the exact same customers because... In those, their mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah in their mind because those customers are them and they're catering to people like them and yeah. everything they're doing is aimed at getting more people like them in the tap room. And So they don't think they're offending, any, like you said, they don't they may not be racist or misogynistic or homophobic. They don't think they're offending anybody because they don't... They don't see it. Yeah, they don't see it, which is another problem is that they don't It's also see a lot it. easier, right? Like, yeah. it's it's a lot easier to be able to... Uh, I wouldn't say cater, but be able to bring those around you that you know would like something, yeah. you know? It's like that risk, high risk, high reward thing. Like, if I was to step out of this this box what will really be the you know the benefit or the outcome yeah, it creates a yeah. feedback loop right yeah you're, you're asking the people you know you're going to get positive responses for so of course you're going to get positive responses right. yeah you need to take those risks if you want to find out what the market at large will think because that, that that market can be savage like they they're not going to apologize for just deciding they're never going to touch another one of your beers again because they didn't yeah. like what was on the labeling right and they'll never tell you because they don't owe you that right yeah you have to go out and, and find that out and taking risks with the opinions that you're you're gathering and garnering definitely is something you, you need to do as business that's another thing that Carla Jean Lauder talks about is, yeah, it's, if you see an offensive label and you don't drink the beer, that's fine. But you should also use your voice to ex- tell the brewery and tell the craft beer world as a whole why you didn't drink that, why you stopped drinking that beer. Because that's just as important because, like you said, if the brewer says, sees that their sales, how does he describe it? That if a brewer sees that 25, they've, a label offended 25% of their potential customer base and that 25% don't drink the beer they don't it doesn't hurt them because they never saw that customer base and that 25% is so small but if that 25% says we didn't drink this beer we stopped buying this beer because of x and they go on twitter and they go on facebook maybe not facebook but twitter and instagram and other social media no it's media. not true until you see it on facebook right <laughs> <laughs> if you do that then that actually starts to hurt the brewery because like the other craft beer drinkers who are just good people will go, oh, that's offensive. Maybe I should think twice about this brewery. It's the court of public opinion. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people like to pretend this like first popped up with the internet and it didn't. This has been around as long. I mean, this is one of the core tenets of capitalism of any sort. It's just the internet has made it so much easier to get honest opinions and appraisals out there. And that's, yeah. that's not a bad thing. Like, how many of us go on Yelp and look and see the reviews on a restaurant before we go there? Right. And if, we, if I see two-star review and everybody's saying they got food poison, I'm, I'm probably not going to risk my bathroom 
to uh, to get that gas station sushi. I don't need it that bad. So having the ability to reach out and find out what other people have to say about it is also extremely valuable. Yeah. All right. So I got way too much to cover today. It's it's been a big week in beer. Uh, so. Uh, from a more business standpoint, the National Wholesalers Association, which is the organization that acts as kind of a trade group, the equivalent of the Brewers Association for the nation's distributors, wholesalers, etc., uh, they released their Beer Purchasers Index, which uh, if you aren't keeping up with the Beer Purchasers Index, they release it on a month to month basis and this really just kind of covers the growing trends within the wholesalers across the country it is an excellent barometer for the health of the industry uh self-distribution can throw that off a little bit but by and large 95 percent of the beer in this country is still uh, transported and brought to retailers through wholesalers so it's an excellent way of kind of finding out trends within the industry the direction it's going and uh, how craft is kind of doing and comparing to beer as a whole uh, so a couple of key notes from that. One of the big ones I've noticed is that the at-risk inventory levels for distributors has dropped below uh, has uh, dropped a, uh, below 50 for the first time in a while. What this really kind of indicates is that the level of inventory in the warehouse of a wholesaler that is at risk of going out of code, so basically going out of date, expiring, uh, is at an all-time low and decreasing. Now, this might not mean a lot to you guys at home, but what this really means is that finally, so for a lot of uh, distributors and wholesalers, we do kind of, you know, come down hard on them a decent amount on this show and in the industry in general, but most of them are actually pretty decent organizations run by pretty decent people who are doing a a good service, and they have really gotten hit hard by this whole craft beer. I I don't know. Would you call it a fad now? I don't don't know. I don't know. Um, So craft beer has really created what they call in skumageddon. All of a sudden, they went from having like... 40 different beers they had to cover and sell and that's all they had to manage to have in excess of 700 yeah. <laughs> over the course of like 10 years that's a whole lot for an entire industry yeah. to adapt to so their warehousing costs needs complexity have just scaled out of control so this is showing that they're finally starting to get that a little more under wraps they're starting to figure out better purchasing strategies from craft breweries how to keep product on hand that they know is going to move how to organize it better and make sure that stuff is getting to customers that's fresh that is high quality and you're not going to be sitting there getting something at your local Harris Teeter or Kroger's that's, you know, six months out of date the moment it goes out on the shelf because it's not I've, a good look. Yeah, I've had cakes come in to the bar and I've looked, looked at the label because legally you have to have when it was kegged on the label on the keg and it's been, there was one that I got in that I, sometimes I'll go ahead and t- tap them if I think it's out of date just because of the type of beer it is, but this for one, shame, well, it's like if it's a imperial stout, it's it's gonna fine. hold. <laughs> but this was like a wheat, and it was t- I think this was in January, this January when I was gonna tap it, and it had been kegged, brewed, and kegged in August of 2017. Oh God, yeah. So well, I just like. I didn't even, yeah, it's I just, going right I just back to the whole thing. Called the rep and was like, yeah, y'all need to come get this. this Think is, about what you yeah. did. <laughs> you know you messed up. Just come get the keg and we'll call it even. Things happen. I understand. Yeah, it's not their fault either. I mean, yeah. like the rep didn't send you the beer that was yeah. out of date. It's, it's like blaming the cashier at the local TJ Maxx because they can't do a refund because a multi-billion dollar corporation told them they can't. I, I, don't, I don't think they're going to be able to change that policy. <laughs> uh, yeah, a couple other notes. Uh, 
light and regular premium as well as below premium all saw uh, decreases in their total shares, which is a good thing. It means that macro beer is still slowly but surely starting to decrease in terms of total share of the market. Uh, ciders are doing a little stronger. There's still a tiny portion of the market, but they're definitely starting to gain some steam. And that's a that's a fast developing industry. I know we'll probably do a, a cider exclusive episode at some point. They've yeah. seen a lot of progress just in the last like four or five months. Uh, flavored malt beverages still not doing that great. Not that I think any of us were terribly concerned about that. Uh, and your faux loco. You know, oh yeah, you your, your four locos, your Smirnoff <laughs> ices. You, you know that the the things we all drank in high school when we thought we were cool. Uh, <laughs> I mean, drank legally at twenty one, like good citizens. Uh, yeah, and craft beer is still doing pretty healthy. I mean, it posted an index rating of 57. Anything above 50 shows uh, increased proportionate growth. So it, it's doing pretty well and continuing to gain steam. There's definitely been a big slowdown. Uh, we've talked about that at length. Going to keep on talking about it. It's going to be the story of 2018. But let's not mistake that for being a, an indicator of poor health for the industry in totality. Yeah. Uh, next up, Stone Brewing is suing Miller Coors over their Keystone beer. I know most oh, yeah. of the people with any any cognizance of the beer industry saw this. So if you have seen a Keystone can lately, it's got that word key in in stone is what it says. Yeah, it says stone. <laughs> like it's just huge letters that say stone if, and these itty bitty letters above it that say key. And my favorite part is like right after this art, the, one of the first articles came out, someone from Miller Coors was like, "Yes, everyone calls Keystone stone beers." Like literally nobody no calls ever Keystone called. stone. <laughs> like like I know a decent number of like bros, you know the dude bros and even they don't call it stone and if they don't call it stone, literally nobody calls it stone. Yeah, so, and yeah, if you haven't seen these cans, like with one pinky finger, you can cover up key, and it is just stone plastered over half the label. And for a lot of people who are saying, well, yeah, who's actually going to make that mistake? Who's going to see, you know, a 30 rack, a keystone light sitting on a counter and think that that's a beer from stone? And for that, I say, you have a lot of people who are sending out their wives, girlfriends, boyfriends, husbands, yep. uh, parents, friends who aren't necessarily into craft beer out to get them beer. And they know that they like stone beer. They don't necessarily know anything about beer themselves. So if they're walking through their local grocery store and they see a you know, big pallet stack of 30 stone. racks of saying stone that's going to cost them $12 for 30 beers, and all they remember is, hey, yeah, I know that he really likes stone beer of course they're going to pick that up it's the same reason that when like the transformers movies come out you get like asylum studios releasing the transmorphers movies that way they can put them in a red box and get confused little grandmas who are getting these movies who don't know any better it's the same theory and they're gonna see increased sales for that so i completely am beside stone on defending their trademark on this yeah. they've had this trademark since 1996 it's already gotten rejected uh in u.s patent court when Keystone tried to get this patent in, I think, 2008 or something yeah. like that. This isn't a new phenomenon. All the paperwork's there. I suspect this is going to be in and out of court in approximately 30 minutes. I'm mostly just impressed that Miller Coors is really sticking to their guns on this <laughs> because, dude, totally, everybody calls them stone, man. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's totally, it's like stone beer. In for a penny, in for a pound. Just like, all right, this is what we're doing. It's stone beer. <laughs> we don't care. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it'll be interesting to watch that one develop. I'm just going to grab my popcorn, sit back, and enjoy. Uh, so, next up, Maryland is trying to roll back their taproom limits. Uh, so, with 
for those of you who don't realize, Diageo, which is a company that owns Guinness, as well as a whole host of other products, one of the largest beverage companies in the world. They're putting a massive brewery in Maryland. It's going to be a huge economic boon to the area, and there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself. As far as you know, multinational billion-dollar corporations are concerned, I don't have any issue with Guinness. I got no issue with Diageo. They, for the most part, are pretty above board. Do some pretty all right yeah. things. In order to make, in order to make things make sense for that brewery, they needed to be able to sell plenty of beer out of the tap room. And so yeah. the state, which previously had a, I think it was a 500 barrel a year limit out of their tap room, raised that to 2,000 barrels a year for brewery tap rooms. That way they could incentivize them to put that brewery in. This was also great for craft brewers. It allowed them to yeah. really open up their tap rooms on a large scale. And like we've talked about in the past, that's by far the highest margin part of any craft beer business is where the industry is headed in a continuous fashion. Law passed. Went through. No problem. Everybody loved it. Yeah. Everybody loved it. Guinness is putting their brewery in. Everybody's happy. They hired away Holly from Highland Brewing. It, yeah. it, it's it, Great things are happening. But one group did not like it. But one group did not like it. Yeah. I, I'll give you a hint. Who, who was it, right? That would be the wholesalers. It might have been that National uh, Beer Wholesalers Association we were just talking about. Uh, So now they're having a couple of lawmakers put forth trying to get the limit dropped back down to 500 with one curious exception. What was that, Ryan? Uh, That would be the Guinness brewery that they're building in Annapolis. Oh my God, I can't even imagine. Does this sound like big business buying out government? Not in our country. Yeah, so this is a bit of a problem. Uh, I don't think this is going to go through. I can't imagine they're going to be able to get the support for this, but the fact that it's even reached the floor and is getting debated is really kind of alarming. This does nothing for anybody other than the wholesalers who are trying to keep a lock on some of those smaller breweries. Even Guinness has come out and said that they really are. are, (laughs) This this is a dick move. What, What was the one rule we talked about, guys? You had one job. Don't be a dick. And that's what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, heartbreaking to see that Nielsen of you know Nielsen TV ratings. Most people are familiar with that. What a lot of people don't realize is they actually do market research on a broad number of subjects. I actually, for a little bit of time, worked for Nielsen. Uh, oh yeah, they were doing over the phone surveys and the like. <laughs> oh yeah, it was, it was it was terrible. I was literally calling like little old biddies who are the only people who still have like analog phone lines because we had to have that for this thing to work and just ask them questions. It was terrible, terrible <laughs> job. Uh, so they definitely they were kind of analyzing the data regarding Super Bowl Sunday and saw a sales drop on on-premise locations of about a third versus last year. Oh, wow. no, no, trust me, as someone who runs a bar, trust me. Oh, I know. Yeah, I yeah, know. bars and like that, like thirty-three percent drop in sales versus last year. So if anyone had any illusions that people don't hate the Patriots and don't hate Eagles fans, it, it's <laughs> it's pretty well illustrated here. Uh, they did find that people were still watching the game. They were just uh, more predominantly watching at home. And I think you're seeing a lot of the same issues here that you've seen with arcades in the 90s once video games at home caught up to them. It's the yeah. same thing you see in movie theaters now. Now that you've got home theater systems that can give you an equivalent viewing experience, now people got TVs and sports packages for relatively affordable. They, they don't need to go out anymore yeah. to watch the game. Dedicated sports bars did all right. Uh, They actually saw a a decent bump versus last year, but pretty much every other place, if you're not sitting there on, you know, 35-plus TVs and your entire focus is on the sports viewing public, 
they saw a drop, which is uh, interesting to watch. Has a little less to do with with beer in general. Just I thought that was an interesting indicator how the mark a related market that does touch and affect beer quite a bit. It's fun to fun to watch. Yeah. Also, the most consumed beer in New England over the course of the Super Bowl was Guinness. Most consumed beer over the course of the Super Bowl in Philadelphia. Yingling. Miller Lite. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, by a decent would, margin. Yeah, that I, that actually does surprise me. I would think it would be Yingling. I thought it would be Yingling. Yeah, too. that actually came in third. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, kind of surprised me too. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of their hometown team. But you know, is Yingling even a thing anymore, man? You, you keep trying to make Yingling happen, guys. Like it ain't gonna happen. <laughs> it's yeah, I, it's a good beer. It's, it was my first beer. Was it really my very first beer? Dude, you did all right, man. Mine was Miller Genuine Draft. <laughs> You're winning. I think mine was Shaper. Shaper? Shut up, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Either Shaper or Olympia. One of those two. Something. I don't even know what Olympia is. Yeah, because Olympia died probably before you were. You call me. You call me young. Drinking. Yeah. 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 It was. It's. It's like the. It, it was bad. It basically it's. <laughs> it was water. Yeah, yeah, that's so <laughs> it was Bud water. Light. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of water, uh, Molson Coors posted their sales. Uh, their sales are down a couple of percentage points versus last year. Again, we're seeing these macro breweries, even though they're very much still winning the game, they are losing the war. It's We're seeing between about half a percentage point and about three percentage points decline in total sales for them, especially when it comes to their – uh, premium and light premium categories. That's Bud and Bud Light, uh, Miller Genuine Draft and Miller Light. Uh, those things are just in free fall compared to what they used to be. And considering that they make up the largest single market segments of the beer industry, that's significant. Yeah, and that's kind of that's exactly why you see why well, you saw AB InBev go on the buying spree a year, two years ago. It was because of buying craft breweries because. They probably their projections probably saw what was happening with their Budweiser and their Bud Light. They and to protect themselves, they knew they had to go out and enter into the craft beer market. And the easiest and quickest and best way to do it was to go find craft breweries that were up for sale. Plus, house brands they've tried those in the past. Things like Bud Golden Weed. I don't know if anybody remembers that abomination uh yeah or bud light with lime the, these things oh, just man. didn't work man yeah no no there's still which is still around by the way there is still a segment of people who that is their go-to summer beer oh, I was terrible you. people who i don't <laughs> hang out with with if at all avoidable but they to, exist to be fair i i did enjoy the, the bud light platinum for a little bit that that was a classic. The blue bottle. It was you know you're being recorded bottle. right now, it, right, Barry? It was the blue bottle. It was the blue bottle. That's what did it? What color do you think Bud Light cans are? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What we've discovered is the, the sell to Barry. Just make it blue. <laughs> the, the brightest, bluest bottle. <laughs> it was just talking to me. And uh, yeah, but it's platinum, though, guys. Oh, it's it's platinum. It's not, it's not gold. It's platinum. A couple of days ago, I was behind a distributor's truck. I was driving home. I was driving somewhere, but I was behind a the Miller Coors distributor here in Charlotte, and they had in the back panel was of Miller Fortune. Oh God, do they even still make that? Apparently, because they're still advertising it on the truck. That, like, that might just be an old truck. <laughs> yeah, that, that Miller could be Fortune. Yeah. Like, 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 who are they marketing to? The like the three people that actually drink that? I 
no idea because I like saw it and, I, and it took me a second like fortune. Oh, I had man. to like go through my Rolodex going, what <laughs> crappy beer was this? I don't even remember this anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you're going through the Miller Coors portfolio, yeah, you, there's plenty plenty of crappy beer to go through, man. That's a long list to dial through. Uh, also, we got a Long Trail up in Vermont just released a beer that is infused with CBD. For those of you who don't know what CBD is, it's a uh, terpene con, uh, compound within marijuana. It's not THC. I know, three letters, very confusing. Uh, this is basically the one responsible for if you are you know, using marijuana for kind of bringing you down, reducing uh, anxiety, kind of cal- the calming effect of it. Uh, now that it has been made legal to do that in Vermont, they're infusing a beer with it. They're calling it Medicator, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's going to be incorporating Columbus Citra and Mosaic hops, but they said that the majority of the aroma as well as the uh, the vegetal flavoring is all going to be coming from CBD as well as uh, the, the terpene oils. Uh, it's basically going to be marijuana beer. And the first marijuana beer really released stateside which of is, course it is of course it's happening in Vermont. There's of like course two it's happening, happening in Vermont. Vermont yeah, it's Colorado. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and there's enough conservative folk in Colorado to where that wouldn't fly. Like Vermont, Vermont's crazy, man. You <laughs> you get up there like like after me and my wife got married, we were going to do our honeymoon in Italy, but we wanted to do like a, you know, a mini moon, I guess you could call it. So the nearest place we could go that seemed kind of cool was Burlington, Vermont. Mm. And you're just driving through an entire state of nothingness. Like I remember at one point, like Montpelier is the capital of Vermont. I remember at one point it said, now entering Montpelier. We're like, oh, great. We'll be able to see the capital on our way up. And then it said, now exiting Montpelier. Oh, like wow. there's nothing. Like we saw four buildings, like literally four buildings. And then you get to Burlington, which is a decent sized town, uh, city on Lake Champlain. And this place was a little, it's kind of the Asheville of the Northeast. Okay. It's had a ton of breweries going back a long way, well before craft beer really started taking off of this movement. Some of those are extremely notable. I mean, I think everybody knows The Alchemist. Uh, you know, got foam up there, but you also have ones like uh, Fiddlehead, which has been yeah. playing with Brett longer than almost anybody else in the industry in the U.S. Uh, it's, it's an awesome little area. It's definitely a crazy little uh, slice of hippie heaven. Uh, <laughs> if it was going to happen in any part of the country, of course it's going to happen in Vermont. And kind of going hand in hand with that, uh, did you know that it's actually legal to make beer uh, make beer with marijuana, including THC in Canada? I believe That's, it. Yeah, I, apparently I that passed yeah, in October. It. So the first couple of patents on on methods of doing that are already on the table, getting approval. So we might see some interesting stuff. I, I got a feeling we're going to start seeing a lot of young kids like hopping across the border, just trying to, trying to throw a couple of cases oh. in their trunk and smuggle it across the U.S. So that that'll be fun to watch. I'm sure we'll see some interesting stories about some of that getting caught in the back of like a minivan or something <laughs> here shortly. Oh, uh, like my fiction writer screenwriter like bulb just went on a smoky and the bandit version of this <laughs> i want to canada trying to get weed beer from canada instead of trying oh, to get man. cores from colorado now we're doing Georgia. a deep cut on properties if we're going to smoky and the bandit man <laughs> i love that movie oh man yeah so just a couple other uh, quick notes Pretty Things, uh, Beer and Ale Project, uh, for those of you who don't know, they were a contract brewing project up in New England. They shuttered their doors a few years ago. They made amazing stuff. That was one of the breweries I cut my teeth on. Uh, If you never got a chance to try their Jack DeOr beer, it's 
probably their most notable one. Uh, Baby Tree was another great one. They absolutely fantastic. They kind of shuttered themselves and stopped making beer literally because they said they'd done everything they could with beer, which is the most ridiculous, stupid thing I've ever heard. Uh, so now they're going over to the UK. They're going to be opening a brewery over there because, yeah, that's apparently a thing. Uh, Three Floyds <laughs> is going to be expanding their tap room. This is awesome yeah, news I if you live that. in Indiana, and if not, make the trip. There's so much to do in Indiana. There's Three Floyds? Yeah, that's about it. I'm from <laughs> Indiana, man. I can say that. <laughs> Uh, aside from that, Arby's is looking to se- selling beer. They a lot of people kind of miss. They wound what? up buying out Buffalo Wild Wings last year, yeah. and oh. now they're actually looking into potentially integrating beer into their stores. I'm in full support of this because I will freely acknowledge one of my guilty pleasures is Arby's roast beef sandwiches. I won't call them good, <laughs> but I will call them lunch. But if you combine those with the curly fries, oh, the curly oh fries. yeah, and yeah. beer, they might be onto something. Yeah, I, th- I think they might have. I-, I think we might have figured something out here. Ar- Arby's, you have our full support. I'm sure with us throwing our enormous weight behind it, that'll definitely happen. So yeah, let's definitely make that make that a thing. <laughs> all right, I think that's all we got for brew news today. You got anything else, Ryan? Uh, no, I think we've covered almost as much as we possibly can. Yeah, man, I told you dude, this still week was other stuff this we, did we Yeah, we we even skipped stuff this week. It's been a dense week. Good lord. Uh for those of you in Charlotte, no to announce they're going to be putting a tap room into the local airport. Uh for those Charlotte of you outside Douglas Charlotte, that doesn't mean a whole lot to you, but you know, wanted to throw that in there cuz I know that I'm going to get an immediate email from somebody working for Noda if I don't say it on the air. Uh, if you're coming into Charlotte, that actually is a pretty big deal. Which, um, where's it going to be in the airport? Yeah, that will be the interesting part. Yeah, because the different terminals kind of handle different parts of the country yeah, and different types yeah. of traffic. So yeah, if it's in the, B it, terminal, I'm going to get some work on that. Yeah, so yeah, if it's in the American Airlines, which is the B terminal, yep. that's they will they will be fine. They will make it a lot. Of yeah, money they will do all thing. right. Well, they will sell a lot of beer. I don't say they'll make a lot of money because I have a feeling their rent for that space will be ridiculous. Yeah, I hear airport rent ain't the best, man. Yeah. I, I was talking about opening up a bottle shop in the yeah. airport until I realized that's a terrible, terrible idea. Yeah. Not yeah. serious, by the way. Please don't send me emails about, dude, that's <laughs> stupid, man. Like, like, why'd you even think that? I don't trust anything you say now. Like, terrible business sense. Oh, and I mean, old, that's accurate. And I don't, this is kind of a little bit old, but Old Mac has, I think, started breaking ground on their Cornelius tap room and slash brewery. That. I'm going to hold off on comment on that until we start seeing where that's going. And, and, and to all the guys at Old Mac, I love y'all. I'm going to hold off on comment on that. Yeah. Uh, so please, please, God, tell me that's all we got for Brew News today. Yes. All right, guys. I, pro- I, I promise we got more interesting stuff coming. So, hey, Barry. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm doing really good. Let's see, there we go. I just wanted to see a little bit of excitement, man. man. I know it's Monday, but you're looking a little sleepy. It's early. It's, I've, I've been off since Thursday. You wow. know, um, so I'm, it, I don't, I'm ready to kind of get back to work. Does that feel <laughs> weird? Yeah, it? yeah, no, it feels really weird, man. <sighs> Me and Ryan haven't had real jobs in years. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, why are you talking like you want to get back there? It's starting to make us feel like we're yeah. not doing anything with our lives. I'm just, I'm, I'm a little eager, I should say. Yeah, no, that's fantastic, man. Well, aside from your real job, Black and Crafty. Tell me a little bit about that for the people at home who aren't necessarily as in the know about what you're doing there and uh, what the goal of the organization is and how it came to be. Yeah, yeah. So um, in October of 2016, I went to uh, Toronto 
and they're uh, in craft, Canada. Yeah, yeah, their craft beer scene was like really just taking off. I mean, um, downtown core area. I'm not sure if y'all went to Toronto before, but they have like a huge craft beer store that was like opening. So um, I was taking a picture of a beer, and I was like, it'd be pretty cool if I like make this hashtag Black and Crafty, and the picture still exists. It's up and everything, and um, posted it. Got a pretty good response, maybe like 50 likes, and then. You know, the conversations with friends and loved ones. I was kind of like, hey, I think I want to make this a thing, you know. And um, it all transpired simply because I had read that article. Um, was it Thrillist, I think, wrote the article? Uh, Gothamist, one of the yeah, two. Yeah. Um, on basically, you know, the African-American presence in craft beer industry. And they had named everyone who was kind of in the industry at that time that was kind of either starting a brewery And that's or a problem when you can name... <laughs> everybody yeah, in, in, it was in an like, industry doing something it was like eight it was like eight names and i was like this is it and then i kind of read a couple other articles and i was it It was like two or three articles and yeah. i was like this was it yeah. um and you know me being a, a big fan of, of craft beer um or i should say local beer i know you guys no 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 you had to go to canada was, to find good craft yeah, beer. you already it, told it, us that you, it was um you know I wanted to try to make it a thing, you know, let's just see what happens if we kind of put a support system behind it and, uh, you know, put some apparel out and get a website out with a directory and kind of see where this thing goes. And um, I was in March of 2017 and we're coming up on March 2018. And like I said, over 750 followers later on Instagram. Happy anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. It just kind of took off and kind of made a, a monster of its own, so to speak. And the peril was just kind of a, a way to speak to bartenders and breweries alike that, hey, we can have the same conversation you have with anybody else. You know, I know I may not dress or I may not look like your, your everyday customer, but we can have that conversation. And uh, it, it definitely sparked those conversations yeah. a lot easier. And I know you've probably had person more personal experience than me myself, 100%. But I know as a bartender and haven't been in the industry for a long time, I've seen a lot of African-American customers come in. And it's a very similar experience to what a lot of female customers get, where the instant assumption is they're not crap beer drinkers. And the instant assumption is even if they start talking about it, they're at least intro level. Yeah. Uh, and you got, I, I'm sure you've kind of gotten that where people kind of see oh, you yeah, and you walk yeah. in the door and you order like a sour and they're sitting there looking at you like, you know what that is, right? Yeah. It, I, I think the worst <laughs> experience is... Um, we had just got started, and I was out with a good friend of mine, um, Mr. Chance Fisher, out in uh, Richmond, Virginia. I'm originally from Richmond, Virginia, by the way. So, boy, that, I think that I'm spoiled with craft beer. When I was growing up, <laughs> Richmond was rough, man. That's turned um, into a really cool town now. So, you know, we were out having we were out having beers, and um, it was actually on my birthday, and we went to a bar, and they were like, "Yeah, these are the drink specials," and like pointed to all these like domestic two dollar <laughs> beers and stuff and i was like this is what you you know what about the draft list let's start there like <laughs> how about here's the draft list oh and we also have drink yeah. specials it was kind of like we oh, got yeah. heineken yeah like, we got what? red stripe and no that's not what i'm here for I'm man i'm not here for that you know and uh th th that week that day i remember me and him having this just long drawn conversation about how um, cause he, you know, he kind of dabbles in hospitality. So he, he understands how it should be. Unfortunately, you know, us, uh, you know, being there at two o'clock, we were the only people there. It should have been a lot more conversation with us, yeah. you know, an empty bar. 
we're here. Obviously, I have nothing else to do. Just <laughs> give us something. Throw us something. Hey, yeah. you, you know, this got a lot got more engagement. Oh, yeah, yeah, a lot more I don't care engaged. who you are. If you're the only people in the bar, like, I'll, I'll tell you, as a bartender, there's not much to do. Yeah. yeah, if they're not talking to you, they're just going to be going back there fiddling on the phone. Off on the so, phone. Yeah, there, there is no <laughs> exactly. Like, I'm telling you that personally. Like, there's not much else to do. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, uh, that that was, like I said, that was my birthday of last year. And then, um, yeah, I kept going out. And the, the, ch- the changes in the atmosphere when I was going out was just tremendous. Yeah. Um, I kind of pulled a Steve Jobs and was wearing the same shirt and hat. Every time I went out and um, I had a Richmond Braves hat and I would wear the shirt and those conversations would be like, oh, I remember your hat. You know, you must be in the industry. And those conversations were kind of uh, a lot more inclusive now. I wasn't just sitting off in the corner, you know, looking at the room. I was part of those conversations. So um, I I spent the last four years in Brooklyn and their beer scene obviously is robust. And uh, I think that really kind of got me back yeah. into the industry and uh i hear there's a little bit going on in brooklyn right now it's just a little bit yeah you know, you know, just... you know art scene a lot of people <laughs> moving there i don't know if you people at home are familiar with brooklyn it's kind of a big deal up in new york you know? yeah craft beer is a, is a, a major thing there so uh, it's really about the only place in the five boroughs where craft beer has taken off strong it's starting yes. to pick up but with brooklyn brewing there i mean again we're Garrett Oliver, there we go. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. With Brooklyn Brewery having been there for so long, uh, it's really done a lot to help that it. little section of yeah. a relatively underserved city for craft beer really start to come into its own. Yep. Yeah. yeah excellent. Um, I think I found the Black and Crafty. I don't even remember how I found it. Probably your maybe your second run of T-shirts. Yeah. Sometime in the. We did Summer. 25 shirts, and I was yeah. like, you know what? I'm going to do 25 shirts. Let's just see what happens. Yeah. And they flew off the shelves. And I was yeah. like, okay, we got Let's do, do 26 something. shirts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I had like this, I mean, it was so, I don't know if you guys dabble with T-shirts and ordering systems and things like that. When you have no basis on what to really expect, you know, I yeah. went with the regular size run. Then I got attacked, and guys was like, yo, you don't have no 2X? You want to know 3X? <laughs> we drank beer, right? This is We're America. Beer? This is America, what are you doing dude. Here? So, <laughs> we so I went here. back to the uh, drawing board. I had to order more. And then, you know, we got, you know, the lady sizes and things. And there's like always that, that temptation, yeah. too, of, you know, well, I'm going to get a huge discount if I order 8,000 of these <laughs> things. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and you're just sitting on product and you're like, what am I going to do with this? Like, Hey, it's not like you like you have a huge warehouse either. I'm sure, oh, no. like they, they call you living room. I'm sure. In in Brooklyn, it was even smaller. I think I had like a. a Are you half trying to tell me rent's high in New York City? Just a yeah, just a wee bit. Just a smidget. Yeah, my my sister in law lives in Brooklyn, man. Like, and I swear she's lived in some apartments. Like the podcast studio we're in now is not what I would call livably large. Her entire apartment, including bathroom and kitchen, was smaller than this. Uh, she it. literally was living in a converted closet. I believe it. Yeah, that's that's a problem. <laughs> so, Black and Crafty, what's kind of the next steps? You have a plan in mind for yeah, kind of expanding yeah. this and kind of further an outreach. I know, again, like we've talked about, this is definitely a growing market segment, one that hopefully we will see continue to grow and continue to see that outreach and need those kind of advocates and and people to speak for it. Yeah, um, we you know this is phase two. I'm going into you know our, our second year, and um, we want to step beyond apparel. Um, doing some merch, some, you know, coasters and some glassware and things like that, too. But um, more, like you said, outreach in the, in the community, right? Like our number one goal, what I really want to do is just 
you know, educate those who don't like craft beer. Or, like, I truly believe a whole hundred percent that uh, there's a beer for everyone. And I know yeah. we say that, like, as beer lovers, and it's Preach. so easy to say, but I truly believe that because I've seen people be like, I'll never drink beer. And I've they've been out with me and was like, this isn't beer. And I'm like, oh, no, this is beer. This is beer. This is beer. It's the most versatile beverage and on the planet. Next man. day, you know, they're, they're drinking, you know, a goza or a sour and they work their way up to a stout and a porter. And you're like, oh, yeah. wow, look how you've progressed. You know, and very um, few people go into beer liking everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like to, to, to move through the system because it's, again, finding what you like. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Like I literally have hops and barley tattooed on me. And even I like started out, it was like nothing but scotch ales and stouts. Yep. I was like, IPAs, that tastes like ass. And then I got up to the point of like IPAs and I was like, well, sours taste like piss. Uh, and then I got to the point. <laughs> I got to the point where you know now I love those as well, and I'm not. Sh- and then I was like, oh yeah, the one thing I don't like is Brett primary beers. I just oh, don't like the taste of Brett. No. They're funky. It's like licking a barn. I'm not a fan. And now that's half what's in my fridge. So yeah, these things happen and tastes develop, and, and that's kind of the natural progression. No one's asking you to step in and start drinking. You know a. a uh, bourbon barrel yeah yeah style, you don't you have know. to start with that and some barrel people wine, will barley wine some people <laughs> will but there's a lot of people who won't and even if you just start out drinking pilsners and drinking craft lagers that's fine that's actually becoming right. yeah. much much easier yeah. these yeah. days and uh i mean i we've talked about in the past ryan i think blue moon the craft beer industry owes blue moon more than any yes, other does, single yeah. beer that's brought more people to craft beer than yeah. any yeah. other single beer yeah. and that's yeah. a wonderful thing and usually, like one of the rules when someone asks me, "How do you want to? How do you get people started in craft beer?" I always go, "Start. Ask them what they like to drink normally first, and then try to angle them into something that's lighter. Don't literally do not start them with a double IPA or a bourbon barrel imperial yeah. Russian imperial stout. That's they're not gonna like that. <laughs> Trust me, they're not gonna like it. Just get them in the door and show them what." A light craft beer is, and then you can kind of show them what the breadth, the breadth of all of craft beer is, and they'll they'll come to it. Trust me. It's, and and yeah. that's really what it was about, like kind of just introducing and having it kind of take a life of its own, yeah. right? And um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, the outreach programs, but also I really, I mean, I really want to see more black-owned craft breweries, and um, they're out there. But what I'm, I'm hoping to do is to put them in a the room with those who have already been successful and they share those ideas because um, it's just not an everyday conversation, you know, within our community to say, hey, yeah, I'm starting a craft beer bottle shop. And they're like, you're doing what? You know, but if I say, hey, I'm opening a T-shirt shop. Oh, yeah, we can they have know that about conversation. That, yeah. if, oh, we're having a sneaker shop. Oh, we can have that conversation. So putting them with people who who probably won't look like you. You know, y'all going to have different backgrounds, different upbringings, yeah. but we're going to help each other because I, I think we're going to hit this uh, wall really soon with everything tasting alike. And it's yeah. just a very, yeah, we have more craft breweries coming out, but what what are you doing to bring something new to the table? And it's hard because that's what, what you have in that box. And part of the issue, at least from my standpoint, is we're talking about the fact that, yeah, beer is the most versatile beverage out there. And there is there is a beer for everybody. But like you're saying, we've kind of run out of flavors that guys who look like me and come from my background can contribute to the right. conversation. 
And that's not to say we haven't contributed a lot. We have. That's fine. No, no one's kind of trying to say that, that what we have now is not great, but we can do so much more. Oh, yeah. And we're never going to know that these other uh, flavors, these other types of product, these other innovations within the industry, we're never going to know that those are out there and that we can achieve those if we don't open up the floor and right. start having a broader conversation with people who might not come from that same background, might not have the same palate. Because a lot of a lot of palate is cultural. A lot, a lot of your yeah. flavor preferences are how you were raised, the foods that you were raised with. Yep. I see a lot of people uh, from where my family's from in the Midwest who think butter's a condiment, salt goes on salads, <laughs> and the idea of ever eating <laughs> Curry just blows the damn mind. So you really need to have those alternative experiences to kind of crack that open and really expand. Right. And that's, I mean, I was, you know, I went live on Instagram just to like tell people what we were doing as far as a vision. And I, I said, man, somebody needs to come out with a yam porter. Right. And like the people were really like big on it. Like, yeah, like why somebody don't do that? Or Yoka Porter or Yoka Stout, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. like using these you know, these ethnic foods from our backgrounds yeah. and being able to provide something different. One and of not my, as a one-off, but as, as, as something that as something, fits yeah, naturally that into it. Have. Yeah. You know, and um, and I want you know, obviously, you know, from my background, black and crafties, I can only speak for myself, but um, I'm hoping other minorities are starting to see what we're doing and, and maybe not necessarily make a brand, but they feel more comfortable because now they're seeing diversity within these tap rooms within these breweries and want to start making you know things of their own um my my go-to example is every time i see mexican lager on a brewery I'm, i'm always like so what what did you base this upon is it because you had a Corona is because you had Tecate. <laughs> what did you base this off of? And and if I'm from the you know outside looking in, I try this, and it's not something I'm I'm going to like. Yeah. What well, you know? And they're typically going. Where did that come from? Yeah. Where did yeah. it come from? They they have it. The seasonal it's gone. And we are starting to see that. I mean, people have kind of lost sight of the fact that craft beer is happening outside of the u.s it's, yeah. it really started here it took off early in australia and the uk and canada but you're getting these crappier movements in other countries i went yeah. to mexico last year uh down to the state of jalisco and i went to jalisco's first craft brewery oh wow now it was started by a white canadian dude but <laughs> which there's actually a huge canadian yeah. expat population in jalisco but it is proven hugely popular and and he was doing his best to try and foster the local community to get involved and you will need some of those ambassadors but by the same token especially mexico there is a rich beer brewing history yeah, yeah. in mexico they have a huge german population in mexico uh, the vienna lager well, yeah. the mexican version of the vienna lager is a really good very prominent very as prominent. much as i hate the yeah. fact it's owned by abi bohemia yeah. is a fantastic yeah. beer uh some of the best vienna lagers you're going to find worldwide now are being made in mexico yeah. uh, uh oaxacan stouts have really kind of become a, a popular trend and it, it's nice to see that yeah and to see where that's coming from and just seeing groups get organized and realizing that that this outreach needs to happen and if it's not going to happen organically they need to help it yeah so mm-hmm. you got the pink boots society which is the, doing fantastic work i was gonna say that's like a group that's grown up within the craft beer community but outside the like brewers association infrastructure and i would one of my hopes and goals is to create was is to create a group kind of like that for minorities, uh, 
like a pink yeah, pink society, which is every which is all women involved in craft beer in any way, can be members of pink boot society. Not just brewers, not just brewery owners, but everyone. And I would like to just wonder if some way we could figure out the way to do that to create a group like that for African, yeah, African Americans and Latinos and other yeah minority groups. That would that would be something I would like to see happen over the next two or three years, and hopefully I will. Mm, have some small part in it, maybe. So check back in later for updates on that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's very a realistic idea, right? Yeah. Because I think the part, the biggest part of that article that bothered me from USA Today was that there's no way to monitor the growth of African American, yeah. and I was like, that's not true. Like, <laughs> you can go on any social media outlet and see a huge turnaround. I remember just a year ago typing in the Google image section. Uh, black craft beer drinker and you got L Sharpton <laughs> and yeah. maybe um, like a couple other like prominent And probably people. a white dude wearing a black yeah, shirt. Yeah, and that was, that was it. <laughs> you do that now and it's it's huge. You might have uh, Dope and Dank from, you know, Cali. You might have Black Brew Culture. Um, myself, you know, you, you've seen some gear on there for, I mean... Yeah, that was a nice plug, it's, by the way. I mean, I'm just saying, <laughs> it, it just you see these groups out there, and it's just kind of like, how can you not monitor that there's been a difference within this year? And um, I, I definitely growth. think that there's going to be a, a way that you're able to track it, even if we don't necessarily have to use what you know the BA is putting out there for stats. If we're able to use what Flyboots puts out or whoever, yeah. um, you know, curates these stats, because at the end of the day, like you know, we're all enjoying it and we're all going to be able to go somewhere and find it, you know. And and I know there's going to be people who turn their nose up at the prospect and say, why do you even need that? That's not even necessary. And and obviously the end goal is we get to a point where we don't need organizations like this. But right now, the fact that we're even having this conversation means we knew. Like, we need these organizations to be able to to do that outreach because the industry itself has not been good about doing it itself yeah yeah i wrote a little bit about the primary demographic dilemma in my blog uh, just that concept that when you have a niche industry the demographics tend to stay within whatever niche that industry originally grew up in the problem is you reach a point where you've saturated that you've hit as many uh, handsome white bearded guys like myself as you can possibly reach and you have to you have to start looking out and you have to start looking at these alternative ways of growing, both for the fi- you know the economic growth and survival of the industry, but also because they really do help you stay sharp. They help yeah, you stay yeah. relevant. They help you innovate. They help you grow. Diverse businesses in any industry, time and time again, they show that is the best way to continue to contribute great ideas and to continue to grow with an ever-diversifying market. This is your Between the Pints co-host, Ryan Moses, and this is the end of part one of this week's episode. Check the feed for part two where we discuss Black Panther.